You're listening to Calvary College Audio. Hello again, this is Pastor Dan, and we are continuing in the Gospel of John. This is Lesson 4. And remember that the Gospel of John is presenting Jesus as the Son of God, divinity in human form, and the author of eternal life to all mankind in and through his death, burial, and resurrection. And as we've done in each of our podcasts, we're going to give you some features of the Gospel of John, and then we're going to move into an explanation of a particular passage within the Gospel. Obviously, we did not have the time to go verse by verse through every chapter of the book. But we're taking particular passages that give us a real sense of the book and what it's all about and how it supports the divinity of Jesus, which is really the most powerful message in the book itself. Well, One of the features of John's gospel is that it's the only gospel with a stated purpose. It says, this is why it was written. And it's interesting if you uh, go over to your Bible to John 20, 30 and 31, near the end of the book, It gives us the purpose of John's gospel. And in John 20, 30 and 31, it says, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Wow. Now that's very direct, very pointed, and it is the absolute purpose of John's gospel. It's basically saying that uh, the reason this gospel was written is so that you personally, me personally, every human being personally may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So to know who he was and is, God in human form, the Christ, the anointed of God the Father, the Son of God, second member of the Trinity, equal with the other two members of the Trinity, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And so it's first of all written so that you will believe who he is. And then it goes on in the latter part of verse 31 to say that believing you may have life in his name. And so belief in Jesus being the Son of God can also mean that he is your personal Savior and that you have life, you have eternal life in his name. So that when you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, for your salvation, then you have eternal life. That's an interesting feature of John's gospel. 
really the only gospel, the only book in the New Testament, if not the whole Bible, that says this is why this book was written. Really interesting. Another feature of the Gospel of John is that throughout the book, from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 15, um, and a number of chapters in between there, it gives us the seven I am statements. So Jesus stated, I am this, I am that, I am this, I am that. And what did he say? Well, in John 6.35, he says, I am the bread of life. And so he is the bread of life, the, the essential spiritual nutrition that was sent from God so that when we partake of him, we will be spiritually healthy. Certainly goes beyond give us this day our daily bread when we recognize that Jesus was the bread of life and he's not only the Christ, he is our bread forever. Not just daily bread, but the forever bread. The Savior to us personally. And then in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's the light of the world in the midst of the darkness. And the darkness cannot disallow the light. And so Jesus came into the world to light the world with salvation. And if we see the light, very uh, metaphorically speaking, then it'll be very real to us that light will light us all the way to heaven. And then in chapter 10, verse 9, I am the gate for the sheep. He's the gate for the sheep, meaning believers come to make their peace with God the Father by coming through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then in chapter 10, verse 11, I am the Good Shepherd. And we talked about that last time in our podcast number three. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the Good Shepherd. Believers in me are sheep. And I will lead them and they will follow. And then in chapter eleven twenty-five, I am the resurrection and life. So Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I'm the one that though you die, I will resurrect you to life everlasting. And so the only hope we have beyond the grave is to be resurrected to eternal life and live in heaven forever. And then in chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is saying, I'm the way, I'm the avenue to make peace with God the Father. I'm the truth of God the Father in person. And I am life, I'm eternal life. And so, and then in chapter 15, verse 5, I am the true vine. 
So he's the like a um, a grapevine. He's the he's the vine that stretches out, and then all the branches come off of that, and then the fruit is born on those branches. He is the the source of fruit, the fruit of eternal life, where a person becomes a believer and a follower of Jesus. And then he's also the one that gives you the opportunity to bear fruit in your life. And so those are the seven I am's. And it's just kind of interesting that they all uh, are right here, one after the other in the Gospel of John. Now, let's go to John 18, 28 to 38. And see what these 10 verses have to say. This is fascinating. Of course, Jesus is at the end of his ministry. Um, he's given himself over to be captured by the Roman soldiers, to be taken away, to, to be uh, imprisoned and beaten and battered and eventually crucified by the Romans. And so at this point, he's coming before Pontius Pilate, who is the Roman governor back in that first century in 33 AD. And Pontius Pilate is not a believer. He's, he's a polytheist. He believes in a lot of different gods because he's a Roman. He has more of a Greek philosophy of spirituality and truth is relative, and he he's just basically a politician. And he's to keep the rule of Roman law in the province where he is, which is right there in Jerusalem. And so when Jesus is handed over to Pilate by the Jews to to sentence him to death, it becomes an interesting dialogue between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. And we pick it up in John chapter 18, verse 28. Notice. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Pranatorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the Pranatorium, lest they should be defiled but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, he would not have been delivered up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him, you judge him, according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, uh, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. 
What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? When he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Isn't that a fascinating passage? And it, it's a dialogue between the Son of God, the King of Kings, and the Son of a Roman who is really a lesser king of a province in ancient Israel. And actually, it was Rome occupying what we know as Israel today. And it was under the rule and reign of uh, Caesar. And Pontius Pilate was just one of the governors of, a, of that particular province where Jesus was. And if we look at this passage, we see back in verse 28, uh, he'd been before Caiaphas, which was a Jewish leader, and Caiaphas decided just to turn him over to the Romans because he didn't know what to do with Jesus. And he took him to the Pranatorium. It was early morning, uh, and they couldn't go into the Pranatorium because they would be defiled because uh, the Passover uh, was coming and it was Sabbath and so they they as Jews couldn't go into a Roman temple or palace because they would be defiled because they thought the Romans uh, being present there would defile their religiosity. Now Pilate simply said, now he was keeping the peace. He was the police chief, if you will, as well as the politician of that area. And he's saying, what accusation do you bring against this man? And in verse 30, they answered and said, um, if you were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. So there's some sarcasm going back and forth here. <laughs> Pilate's being sarcastic. The Jewish leaders are being sarcastic. And they don't like each other. And history uh, will bear out that they were enemies. And uh, they wanted Jesus put to death. But they know that they couldn't do that. And in fact, we go on in verse 31. Pilate said, you take him, judge him according to your law. And so Pilate didn't really understand Mosaic law or Judaism. He just knew that they often dealt with their own uh, in certain ways um, 
but at this point, the occupation of that area meant that the law was that they could not enact capital punishment on anybody. The Romans had to approve of that. And actually, the Romans are the only ones that have the right to put anybody to death. And so, in fact, they, they say that um, after Pilate has said, you just take him and judge him. He thought they, he would just be beaten or questioned or both. And, and then the Jews say, therefore, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And so they're saying, you, as a Roman government, are the only ones that can put somebody to death. That's why we're bringing him to you, because they wanted Jesus dead. And what's interesting in verse 32 is that this fulfills a prophecy. Now, don't lose me here. This is good. Notice in verse 32, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. In Matthew 20, 18 and 19, you can check that out uh, as a cross-reference for this. Suffice it to say that it was predicted, not only by Jesus during his time on earth, that he would be handed over to the Romans and be crucified, but it goes all the way back a thousand years to the book of Psalms and Psalm 22, which describes the Jesus that would come one day to be crucified. It says that his hands would be pierced, his feet would be pierced. And it's a fantastic example of how Jesus was fulfilling prophecies of himself as he came into the world and lived and died, even the kind of death he would die. And even 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah in Isaiah 53 describes the suffering servant who is the Jesus that will come and that he was going to be beaten and battered and and he was going to be crucified and so he was going to be offered up in such a way as to fulfill what was predicted in Psalm 22 described in Isaiah 53 and now is going to happen as described here in John's Gospel. And it's fascinating how um, every single prediction of how Jesus would be conceived, born, live, preach, teach, do miracles, every detail of his uh, capture and his crucifixion and his burial and his resurrection it is beautifully fulfilled, exactly fulfilled, and happens perfectly from a prophetic standpoint. 
And this is just one example of that. And if you think about it, that is uh, a big evidence for the divinity of Jesus. That if, in fact, God the Father, being divine, predicted that his son would come into the world and would live a perfect life and die a criminal's death and be resurrected the third day, all of those predictions made by a divine God the Father, therefore, his son Jesus was divine. And it's as if God the Father was willing to come in the person of his son Jesus and do for humanity what they could not do for themselves and provide a Savior that could only be provided by God. And so here is Jesus on the earth fulfilling these prophecies and we find that this dialogue with Pontius Pilate reveals a lot of evidence for that. And if we go back to the passage in John 18, we pick it up in verse 33. And Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So Pilate kind of comes and goes from the presence of Jesus. Um, he talks to him for a while, questions him for a while. Then he goes away and thinks about it. And he comes back. He doesn't know what to do. He's in a quandary because he wanted to keep peace among the Jews. And he didn't want to incite a riot. And he knew that they were very passionate about uh, turning over this Jesus of Nazareth and having him crucified. But he didn't want to take the life of an innocent man. So he was a judge, really, uh, and he needed to judge correctly because, interestingly enough, he thought if he had an innocent man killed, he would be dealt with by his own gods, you know, uh, false gods. But nonetheless, he thought he'd be in trouble if he uh, killed an innocent man. And in fact... Pontius Pilate's wife talked to him. On one occasion, he left and came back, left and came back. Well, one time he left, and his wife said, I had a dream about this man. He's innocent. Do not have him killed. And so here, Pilate's wife's in his ear telling him not to do this, and and then he goes back, and the Jews want him to do it. And so he's he is very much caught in the middle. And so he he wants to find out if is there some reason, some reason based on the law of the Romans where he could put this man to death. And so back in that day, if you claim to be king versus the king of Rome, the Caesar, then you could automatically be put to death because 
it was against the law to claim to be a king. And so he goes to Jesus, and in the latter part of verse 33, which we just read, he asked, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, you know, are you asking this of yourself or somebody tell you? And of course, somebody told him. He didn't come up with it. And so he was a little irritated by that. Pilate was, in verse 35, sarcastically says, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you. What have you done? And so he's frustrated and angry and I think a little bit fearful as well of doing the wrong thing here. And so he's just trying to determine whether or not he has grounds to have Jesus put to death because he's claiming to be king, which is illegal in Roman law. And so when Pilate asked this, in verse 36, Jesus answered beautifully, not yes or no, but in a very eloquent description of who he was and what his kingdom was. Jesus answered in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And so Jesus is declaring that he's a king. He has a kingdom. He has servants or subjects. And yet it's different than an earthly kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And his servants like the disciples and other believers, are not going to fight. They're going to let the plan of God unfold. And that's what was happening. And in verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? So see, we Pilate's trying to get grounds to have him crucified. And oh, he picks up on this fact that Jesus used the term and title king. And so he's, he's confirming, okay, is this what you're saying? Are you saying you are a king? And he just flat out asked him, are you a king then? In verse 37, Jesus answered, listen to this, this is great. Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I have come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And so Jesus revels in the opportunity to answer Pilate's question that he is a king. He was born to be a king. He was destined to come into the world and bear witness to the truth, the truth of who he was. And everyone who is of the truth hears his voice. And so this is King Jesus. He knows who he is. He knows he's divine. He's a divine king. And What's interesting is that 
Pilate hears this and yet only picks up on the last bit of what Jesus says about truth. He's already convinced that Jesus can be put to death now because he's claiming to be a king. But then he hangs on this last sentence, this last comment of Jesus that says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So now Pontius Pilate is interested, intrigued, I think, and doesn't even respond to about Jesus being king and that, well, that settles it, you're going to be crucified. Pilate said to him in verse 38, what is truth? And I don't think he was being sarcastic at that point. I think he was listening and he was intrigued at that point that maybe this man was who he said he was and that there was some truth that he needed to believe in. Because Pontius Pilate, as well as other Romans that were involved in Greek mythology and Greek thought, would would discuss truth. What is truth? What is truth? And um, they would debate that, and they would wonder about that. And I think they were searchers of truth, but they only came up with man-made philosophies to understand truth. And yet here is this this Jesus that Pilate is convinced is innocent and Jewish people are wanting to put to death and he's just conflicted as to what's going on with this man and probably thinks, is he more than a man? Maybe he is who he says he is, and maybe I should hear him. And in verse 38, when he had said this, Pilate had said, what is truth? He went out again to the Jews, and he said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Now, isn't that interesting? I don't think Pontius Pilate became a believer in Jesus at that point, but he was intrigued to the point of giving Jesus a hearing and listening closely to him because he really thought he was innocent, that he'd done nothing wrong. He didn't want to have an innocent man crucified, and he thought maybe he had something of a truth that he needed to hear. And um, he comes to the conclusion that he finds no fault in him. Not only does he not find fault in him, it says he found no fault in him at all. He found no reason for him to be guilty of anything and no reason for him to be crucified. And so this was basically the judgment of Pontius Pilate 
and it should have stood as an acquittal. And yet, we find out in the uh, last couple of verses of chapter 18 that the, the Jews said, well, you have a custom to release somebody at Passover. Pontius Pilate remembered that, and he said, okay, you've got this custom, you know, I can release you a criminal at Passover as an act of mercy. And so who do you want me to release to you? Uh, the king of the Jews or I've got this other man, Barabbas. He's a robber, a criminal. And so Pontius Pilate thought, surely they would ask that Jesus be released. But no, we go on down and we find that the story moves forward with the Jews asking that Barabbas be released. And we say, that doesn't make sense. And I don't think Pilate thought that made sense. But it was going to happen the way God wanted it to happen. And this is a, an example of, yes, Jesus is divine. And he could be totally in control. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He has a heavenly kingdom. And he could call the angels to come and put down all of his enemies. Strike Pontius Pilate dead if he wanted them to. But he... Jesus knew that the plan was for him to die for the sins of all humanity. And he had to be crucified. And this was part of the prophetic plan. And so he wasn't going to stand in the way of that. And so it's interesting that Jesus is taken into custody and he is beaten and they put a crown of thorns on him and they they crucify him. And over in chapter 19, 19, Pontius Pilate, as Jesus was on the cross, he had one of his soldiers take a sign, a placard, if you will, of wood that was engraved with the accusation of the criminal, so to speak. So often when they would crucify a criminal, they would write the sentence of that criminal and tack it on the cross above their head. That This is why he's on the cross. He's a robber or a murderer or whatever. And Pontius Pilate made a point of engraving on some wood and making a sign that said Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews and he had one of his soldiers take it and, and nail it on the cross above Jesus' head while Jesus was dying on the cross poignant true and yet it just made the Jews angry 
But I think Pontius Pilate was saying, this Jesus of Nazareth was the king of the Jews. And something happened here that I, I don't know exactly how significant it was and and I don't know what I got myself into. And in fact, uh, after Pontius Pilate allowed for the crucifixion and they were taking Jesus off to be crucified, he washed his hands with some water in a basin there by the judgment seat. And he was saying, I wash my hands. There's no blood on my hands. It was symbolic to say, I'm not guilty of this man's blood. And uh, how interesting that is that I think Pontius Pilate had a, had a sense that Jesus was more than just a man, that he was divine, and that why in the world would anybody want him crucified? And yet he was, and Pilate had to live with that. And so that wraps up the passage that we're dealing with today. But I want to just give you some things to think about. I want to give you some statements that you must believe and a question that you must answer. First of all, a declaration that this passage and the Gospel of John as a whole prove that Jesus was and is the divine king. Simple as that. That's true. That's never, there's never been a truer statement than that. Jesus was and is the divine King of kings and Lord of lords of the universe. And when he came to earth, he still remained divine. He was God wrapped in flesh, walking the earth and doing miraculous things, teaching great truth, but then mysteriously allowing himself to be captured and killed on the cross for a reason. And that reason was that he didn't die for anything he did wrong. He was innocent. He died for whatever human being did wrong. You and I included. He died for the sins of humanity. He bore our sins in his own body on the cross that we might have a Savior from our sin. And so not only did he die for our original sin that we got from Adam and Eve, but he carried every single sinful thought, sinful word, sinful deed that we've ever done or thought or said. How powerful is that? It's as if he took our hell upon himself on the cross. And that's exactly what happened. And so... It proves that Jesus was and is the divine king. A second statement is, if you are a believer, 
then Jesus is your king. Jesus is your king. That's an absolute truth. Whether or not you believe it as much as you should or not, whether or not you act like he's your king. In fact, the third thing is a question. Are you his subject and subject to him? When you've got a king and a kingdom, you have subjects. They're subjects in the kingdom. And they are the people that are under the king. And they need to subject themselves to the king's authority. And so that's a question I've got for you. That's a question I've got for myself is as we live our life, do we recognize Jesus as our king? And are we living in such a way as to be subject to his authority? There's things that Jesus wants from us, asks of us, and we are to keep his commandments that he's given in the New Testament. And we are to obey him. Now, he loves us and he's forgiving and, and he, he is on our behalf very um, loving and caring and understanding. And, uh, and yet, he's still king and we still need to obey him. And we need to be so devoted to our king that we discover how we can please him, how we can honor him, how we can obey him, how we can um, live a life that would be pleasing to him and not just ourselves. And so that's a question that flows out of our lesson today and I trust that you'll take it to heart and you'll ask yourself today in the days ahead, all the days of your life, am I a good king's kid? <laughs> uh, because King Jesus has got an inheritance for you and it's heaven for all eternity. And in the meantime, we need to be honoring him and being a good king's kid. And when we do, we will be happier and those around us will be happier and we will be a productive member of the kingdom. And so I, I just pray that uh, you will take to heart this passage out of the Gospel of John and realize that uh, you are part of the kingdom of God and Jesus is your king because he is God. And I hope that you can not only know that but live it out as well in your daily life 
to the glory of Jesus. Amen and amen.